Well, maybe you've heard this Christmas story before. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. Children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I and my cat had just settled down, settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer, with the little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. And it continues on, and St. Nick says at the end of this, Soon he gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings and then turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose. Kind of magical, isn't he? And giving a nod up the chimney he rose, he sprang to his sleigh, to his team, gave a whistle, and away they all flew like down, like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. That will be read this Friday by many, many, many people. And poetry captures our attention. You can, you can just think. I pictured when reading this, sugar plums. Is that really what my kids think about when they dream sugar plums? And I saw him run to the window and he, he was there quick. And he threw open the window there and he saw St. Nick. And we have taken the Bible story and then a missionary story, and now we've made it a magician's story. He can touch his nose. He can be up the chimney. And we need to hear the real Christmas story. And it even confuses the issue because this one mixes Happy Christmas with the real one. And so is it Santa Claus or, or the Savior Jesus Christ? What we need to see is we need to see the story that what we saw last week, what God promises He will perform, and it's about Jesus. It is about one who truly is omniscient and all-knowing. It is about one who is truly omnipresent and everywhere. It is about one who is omnipotent and has the power to do anything. It is not about somebody in a red suit who's had one too many cookies. That's not the story of Christmas. So turn with me to Luke 1, and we'll pick up in verse 39. Again, like we said last week, we believe these stories of angels talking to old priests and young virgins because Luke tells us in his word that this is what happened. And Luke, uh, why should we believe Luke in all this? Is because Luke said at the beginning of his chapter, I want to let you know for certain the things you have believed. And so we have a tradition based in divine origin that is passed on in an orderly manner to the next generation so that they have may know for certain what they believe. 
that everybody this Christmas, and I just talked to one who he, he, he's going to get back into a tradition, and it's a good tradition. It doesn't take away from the story of Christ. But of spending time together with his family, they're going to go sledding. And so everybody's passing something on to the next generation. Everybody this year, believer or non-believer, will be telling the story of Christmas. It could be the one that was written some time ago about St. Nick, or it could be the one we look at. But ours we know for certain. Is true. That's what Luke 1 through 4 says. And then we saw in 5 through 38 that we can waver or we can wonder in belief or unbelief at Christmas this year. And so the question I ask myself and I'll ask you is are we wavering or are we wondering? If you're wavering and you're wondering, if you're wavering and wondering, if you're wavering and you're thinking, I just don't know how God's going to do it financially, maritally, paternally, whatever it is, I just don't know. Well, then this is for you. And if you're wondering anew, this sermon is for you because what God promises He will do, He will perform. And the key concept behind all of this is God is the God of the impossible. God is the God of the impossible. And so we must listen to what he says and we must follow where he leads. And we begin in 39 knowing that the angel has just talked to Mary. He has said, this is what's going to happen to you. And she wonders in belief, not unbelief, but in belief. She says, no way. And so in 39, in those days, the days that she heard of this miraculous birth that would come to her, the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and she would be like Becky with child. Now, Becky wasn't overshadowed. Let's just get that right. Becky wasn't overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. But she's pregnant now, and that's what Mary looks like. And so she runs to see her cousin. In those days, she arose and went and made haste to the hill country, to the town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now we're thinking, okay, this is the Zechariah who's now mute and silent. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, this is so beautiful. Look, at, I love how this translation says it. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the fetus inside... That's not what it says. Right? It doesn't say that. It says the baby. The baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist sees... Jesus in Mary, and he's kicking her. I know who that is. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me? Love this phrase. The mother of my Lord should come to me. The mother. Can you picture this? Here's little Mary. She's just found out, and she's running. And she comes in and You've seen it. You've seen the belly move, and you've seen your the wife go, oh, she's got kicked. And here he is leaping. John the Baptist is leaping for joy inside the baby. And the humility of Elizabeth, she said, the mother of my Savior, why do you come visit me? For behold, and I love what she explains, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, I think understands what's going on, that John the Baptist is saying, even before he's born, saying, that's the one. He's the one. I'm the forerunner, but he's the one. I am not the light. He is the light. And I can't even bend down and untie a sandal, but that's the one, Mama. I, I wish I had a little where I could do the kick. And so in humility, Mary runs to her to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, it's a pretty name, isn't it? In humility, she says, there's the mother of my Savior. And now Mary burst into song. The humility of Mary and Elizabeth, and now Mary burst into the, mag- the majesty, the magnificat, as some call it. And Mary said, and Mary is now picking up on the Old Testament She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's what our souls should do. There's two ways you can magnify the Lord. One way is you can magnify it and put the Lord down here and make Him really small and you need a what? A magnifying glass to see it, like some kids do in science class. A microscope. We don't want to do that. No, she's saying, my soul magnifies the Lord like a telescope. And she sees out there a God who is really big and through that telescope can just get a glimpse. It looks so far away, but then this telescope just gives us a picture of the majesty. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, love this, my Savior. Mary says she's rejoicing in God, my Savior. She's not a part of the process. It's not God and Jesus and Mary. She said, He is my Savior. For He looked on the humble estate of His servant. He is the Savior. I am the servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He is mighty and can do anything, and he is holy. He is perfect. Everything he does is perfect. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And you could go and on and on. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. So it's not just about Mary. It's as she sees herself as a part of something bigger. And he has helped in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to the fathers, and she makes a connection. We're going over here to the Old Testament. We'll see this in Genesis 12, repeated in Genesis 15, and then in Genesis 22. Through you, Abraham, All the nations will be blessed. All the nations. Through Abraham. And so Mary is making a connection to the redemptive story, the meta-narrative of Scripture. And she says, All of this He spoke to our fathers and His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned home. And so in summary, you see this mixture of what God's doing in the present, what He's done in the past, and what He's doing in the future. It's to show us one thing. God is active 
and God is alive. God is alive and God is active. As he was in the past, as it will be in the future, God is working today. He is the God of the impossible and he, as we see in this story, has entered into our world. God owed her nothing. And she is so humble, she says, how is this? God, my Savior, I'm your servant. And she uses a phrase that's interesting. Look back up at verse 48. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on. You may think, that's just a propositional phrase. Why is that such a big deal? If you were to trace that phrase through the New Testament, the Gospels and Acts, Every single time that phrase is used, from now on, it means life is changed and will never be the same. In Luke 5.10, Jesus says, do not, be afraid, do not be afraid, Peter. From now on, you will be catching men. You will no longer just a fisherman. You will be a fisher of men. From now on, in one house, five will be divided, two against three, Jesus says there will be division when I come. People will love me or people will hate me. For I tell you, Luke 22, that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. Jesus recognized something was changing and from that point forward he would want nobody to confuse him and his purpose. Oh, he's, he's just going to die. He's going to the cross so he's trying to uh, weaken his system. No, from now on, there will be something different because I'm going to prepare for the death and not one person will ever say, I went about this in an unholy manner. From now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power. He's in court and they are putting him on trial. And he says, from now on, once I die and rise, you will see the Son of Man making a connected connection back to Daniel. You'll see him sitting at the right hand of God. And in Acts, Paul says, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I have preached the gospel to you. You have rejected it from now on. From now on, as one has commentary says, is an indicator that we must see definite changes in our life as a result of meeting Jesus. That's what happened to Mary. She, she comes and she is filled with the Holy Spirit God comes to her and she says, because you now are the mother of your sa- you're the mother of the Savior of the world, from now on life is different. It's the same in our discipleship. Our allegiance is different. It's the same as we anticipate the end times. Our commitments in life are different. It's the same when we go to the world with the good news. From now on, things are different. Question, are we living to some degree In the past, in the past this, in the past, are we living here or have we come to that point in our life It's from now on, from this day on, this is how I'm going to view life and it all turns on Christmas. From now, this is when he was born. It is not about sugar plums and reindeer. It's about Jesus. From now on. Are we living to some degree in the past? Or may this be the Sunday in your life you say, from now on, 
That's the perspective I'm going to have. I have met Jesus and I will say with Paul in Philippians, not brothers that have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Paul's humble. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because he's made me his own, I'm going to press on. Forgetting what lies behind, looking forward to what lies ahead, I'm going to press on from now on. And so Mary sees in her own life, things are going to be different because I've had an encounter with Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Christmas is about. And so there's a praise that God, He gives mercy and it's ongoing and it's everlasting. Those who conceal their transgressions will not have victory, but those who confess, Proverbs 28:13 will receive an abundance of mercy. What God has done in the past is a guarantee. I can stop in my life and go, how am I going to live my life from now on? Because what God's done in the past is a guarantee that He's going to take care of me. Now, is it all going to be sugar plums in my head? No. But I can trust that God. And He is the role reverser. Role reverser. That's the other thing you see from this. That He will put down the rich in this that don't need Jesus. And He will lift up the poor. He will put down those who have had enough to eat and who could care less about religious things. And He will feed the hungry. He will reverse roles. That is His purpose in life. He has come to save those who are humble enough to submit the knee. And then we get to the second half of this chapter or this portion of the chapter. She just kind of fades away. Did you see just Mary just kind of fades away? We don't go get another book about Mary. We don't get um, more comments. She is mightily used by God. She is a very special person but she's just one among many whom God used. Amen? It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there's nobody else in between. And so the, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And so we're seeing the the birth of John the Baptist. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father because this was the tradition. You celebrate, you circumcise, and you name it something in the line. I had a roommate in college, Peter Joseph Dana III. And he had a son. Do you know what he named his son? Peter, Joseph, Dana, the fourth. And that is good. My name is Judson Paul Rumley. My brother's name is Jared Paul Rumley. They gave it to him. She gave it to him. My son's name are Luke Philip Rumley and Lawson Philip Rumley. So the grandfather's name is passed on through the middle name. Traditions aren't bad. However, when there's a new way, traditions must cease. And on the eighth day, and they would have they circumcised the child and they would have called him Zechariah for his father, but his mother answered, No. 
he shall be called John. And they said to her, basically, that's not tradition. (laughs) Your relatives are called John. And here's Zechariah, still mute. They're making signs to the father, inquiring what did he want. I mean, that's just Elizabeth. I mean, it's the mother. She loves the child. Let's go ask the father. And I love this. And he asked for a writing tablet. I don't know how he asked for it, right? He must have motioned. Would have been better. I would have put motioned, but I'm not the one who writes scripture. I read scripture. Motioned, he gets a tablet, and he writes on there. His name is John. And they all wondered. There it is. Wavering in unbelief, wondering in belief. And so John, who didn't believe at first, literally, what, and to what shall we know how this is going to happen? You'll be quiet for a little bit. Nine months, nothing from you. And his first opportunity to show that he has come to believe wholeheartedly, he says, his name is John. And immediately, not some days later, but immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Praise Jesus, I can talk again. And fear came over all the neighbors and all those who talked about about this and it went through all the country of Judea and all who heard them laid them upon their hearts saying what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was upon him and I think this is what he spoke when he blessed the Lord then in 67 his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying if you have Mary's Magnificat you have Zechariah's his Benedictus the benediction here he's going to tell us about John the Baptist and his peace in the birth of Jesus. And so we move from the tradition to a new way, and then the good news goes out, and we see that the God who performs, he performs on the promises he makes. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has loved this. This is past tense. And it really hasn't happened yet that Jesus has come and been born, because this is about John, and then lived a perfect life and then died on a cross. But he speaks past tense because Luke, remember back to verse 4, I want you to know for certain that things have happened. The prophetic past, he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel because he has visited and redeemed his people. It's a done deal. Let's, you could sign it. It's when there are contracts to be signed and certain color pins that people use, right? I know people. They use some prefer black and they want fine print. Others want blue. Blue is the matte. And they want that ink. They want the ink. This one obviously hasn't been used that much. They want that ink really low. It's a done deal. We're signing it because when I sign this, it's a done deal. And he says, he has visited and has redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of those who hate us to show mercy, show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath 
that he swore to our father, Abraham. He goes back. There's a connection. In in you, all the nations will be blessed. And so he's mentioned David, the Davidic covenant. He mentioned Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. That's why we like to read the Old Testament, because it's just Act 1. And we're just in the beginning of Act 2. If you don't read Act 1, you'll be going, who's David? Who's this Abraham character? But we know. So this is the Christmas story. That in holiness, that we love this, verse 74. We, in light of the coming one who's going to do these things, we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. We don't have any more fear. Our enemy, our main enemy in life, there's really, we really only have one enemy. People are not our enemies. We only have one enemy. Enemy, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's been defeated. That we might serve him without fear. That I, I get up here and preach without fear that God's going to zap me. Why? Because my God loves me. And he put his son on a cross for me. So I, I serve him without fear. And I serve Him in holiness and righteousness before Him all my days. And so I serve Him boldly, without fear, and I serve Him in purity all the days of my life. It doesn't say, and He served Him before Him. You know, try to get five out of six days, seven days a week. I mean, if you can get that, if you can just get it Monday through Friday, you're fine. That's not what it says. It says, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And then He speaks to... John, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And so he's sitting here prophesying to those who are around him, and he looks at his son, and he says, you, child. And you can't go back, but if I had to do it over again, maybe I would pick up Lawson in my hands. Maybe I could do it now. It's just not as cool as right at birth. Look at him and say, and you, child. Now, I wouldn't make a prophecy like that, but I would certainly want to bless him. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord and prepare His ways. You will be a forerunner. Some of you have cars with that name. It's the one that's carving the path for the rest of us who are in minivans to follow. Especially on snowy days like today. You forerun. You go before. You carve the path. That is John the Baptist goes and he prepares the way. You can read about that in Luke 3, 4, the beginning chapters of Matthew. And you will prepare His way to give knowledge of salvation to His people. And notice, you might have been thinking, well, up top, you're talking about our enemies. Those are our physical enemies, right? Well, yes, the physical enemies of the Jews, but He brings it right down to the soul spiritual level in 77. You shall pronounce salvation to His people, not only physical deliverance from your enemies, but the forgiveness of sins. My main enemy, the only enemy I have in life, really, is Satan, and he doesn't want me to believe that I am fully forgiven. He wants to take fiery darts. You've got to work for your salvation. Don't you know that? And you're not really. I mean, did you really say those words? I'll just throw another dart. Do you have your shield of faith up today? No. 
I see the knowledge of salvation that I have been forgiven for all my sins, past, present, and future. Because, not because of of what I've done, but this goes right along with the rest of the New Testament because of the tender mercy of our God. And I just think of the book of Titus where it says, verse 5, but when the goodness and loving kindness, starting in verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, Christmas, He appeared, Christmas, the epiphany in the Greek. When He appeared, He saved us. And Paul is very clear when he's writing to Titus, not because of works done by us in righteousness. We can do righteous works, but he says not because of that, but according to his own mercy. There's Luke language. And by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that it's not really interesting. It's just it's true that they would have the same language, Paul and Luke, because they traveled together. And so because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give us light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And notice he's to give light to those who are in darkness. That's why we go out and we do everyone reach one because there are people who are in darkness. And this may just be the night light of hope that through the Word, God can shine His full light on their darkened hearts and to guide our feet in the way of peace. And it ends, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. We notice that John was a nobody from nowhere in a sense that he's out in the wilderness. If you were to read his his passages of scripture on that you're like here's a guy down by the river preaching calling people broods of vipers and he preaches and he seems like a nobody from nowhere but we see his birth he is somebody from somewhere and he's preaching about the only person who is everywhere and so there's Luke 1 80 verses had to break it up into two Sundays here's a couple things we can learn Number one, even the mature in faith need to trust in God's Word. Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah had passed all the tests, so to speak. He was one of the 18,000 who even had a shot at getting chosen to go into the holies of holies. And even he needed to grow in faith. And if you go back to this second half of John's or Zacharias' benediction, our salvation is not the end of our walk with God, it's only the beginning. That we might serve Him without fear all of our days. It's not like you slide into home plate at salvation. Woo! Made it, just going to go in the dugout now, made it home safe. I mean, the ump went like that, I'm in. Just going to go into the dugout now, dust off. Woo! I was running hard. No, it is the beginning. We should serve Him without fear in holiness and blamelessness all the days of our life. And so this chapter, if you were to summarize it, is about belief and behavior. 
Last week we looked mainly at belief. You're never too old and I am never too old. We're never too priestly. We're never got the THM and know our Bibles well enough not to grow in faith. Amen? And we're never too lowly. A virgin girl? Women were not looked upon well in that day and age. You're never too lowly to be used by God. What God promises, He will perform. And the second half is the behavior aspect. God gives us second chances to make gospel impressions. His name is John. His tongue is loosed and he lets loose on one of the prettiest Old Testament, New Testament prophecies of the Old Testament in the Bible. And humility is the proper response to an encounter with God. To God's grace upon our life, we should be the most humble people in all the world. And so God gives us second chances. We are to be humble in that, receiving that, and we've been saved to serve. You and I have been saved to serve. We don't sit on the sidelines. Saved from our sins to serve God until He comes. That's a, What's your philosophy of life? Well, I'm going to serve God until He comes because I've been saved from my sins. Wow! What does that mean? Well, let's talk. Do you need to be? Do you need to have the gospel preached to you because you have yet to be saved from your sins? Or are you on the team, and you need to be encouraged along the way? Good philosophy of life. Both priests and peasants have the ability and responsibility to herald God's word. It's not just for me. It's not just for me. It's a priesthood of believers. Paul would say, be like the Bereans who eagerly examined the scriptures every day to make sure what Paul said was true. So we must hold firmly to the Christmas story. We must be fascinated by and thereby humbled by what God's done for his people. The beauty of Christmas is not so much about being with family, although we love that. It's not about giving and receiving gifts, although it's so fun. The, one of the sweetest moments. We did kind of a family Christmas yesterday. My sweetest moment thus far in that realm, not in the whole picture of what Christmas is all about, but in we went downstairs. We had put two gifts downstairs just for fun. You know, hey, follow me. we got to go get some scissors. <laughs> and here, Luke, my son who listens, like, here they are here. I'm like, okay. Yes, we were. I just went the long way. Lauren goes down and sees this gift, and she knows who it's from. It's from Sammy. She sees this gift, and she runs, jumps up in Sammy's arms. Unprompted, that's the way we should respond to the Christmas story. And you run to your father, jump in his arms. I think an old Baptist marquee gets it right. God did not put his son under a tree. He put his son on a tree. It's kind of cute. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ came to earth so that he could die so that we might be brought home. And it's a paradox of sorts because we sing those songs, great songs, by the way. And we talk about Christ being God but born. And it's a paradox. And Charles Spurgeon said it like this. The infinite, and he said this in 1858, 
is now an infant, eternal yet born of a woman, almighty yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting the universe yet needing to be carried in his mother's arms. King of angels, yet the reputed son of Joseph, heir of all things, and yet the carpenter's despised son. One pastor reflected on, reflecting on the gospel narratives of the birth stories and Spurgeon's paradoxes said this, The word became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. Eternal life experienced through temporal death. The transcendent one descended and drew near. The unlimited became limited. The infinite became finite. The immutable became mutable. The unbreakable became fragile. The spirit became matter. The word became flesh. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. Jesus had to stop in John 4. He said he he had to rest. The loved became the hated. The exalted was humbled, Philippians 2. Glory was subjected to shame. Fame turned into obscurity. From inexpressible joy to tears of unimaginable grief, he was in the garden. Three times he wanted Peter and his buddies to pray for him. And he is praying so strongly that his whole body is just... He's in... It's secreting, some would say, blood, but the Bible says like blood. He's just so cognizant of the pain, unimaginable grief. I'll never know the song. I'll know what the cost if it is upon that cross. Praise God. From a throne to a cross, from a ruler to being ruled, from power to weakness. And that all happens in the first seven verses of chapter 2. You'll have to come Friday to hear that. Father, help us from now on to wonder in belief. Help us, no matter where we all are on our Christian journey home, like Pilgrim, like Christian on his journey home in Pilgrim's Progress, Help us to wonder in belief and not waver in unbelief and help us understand afresh that we're never too far along to grow in faith. And help us take that and give that to the next generation so that they too might know for certain the things they have believed. And Lord, we just are in awe you would come from heaven to earth and from an earth to the grave. From the grave you're raised again and right now Jesus, you sit with your Father in heaven awaiting your second advent. Might we go our own way? Might we be about the King's business? Might we serve with boldness and purity all of our days? I pray these things for the glory of the name of the Trinity for the good of those who are still in darkness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.